I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome, beautiful mamas. Let me ask you something. Have you ever had one of those moments where you suddenly find yourself freaking out about what might happen. Brene Brown talks about it beautifully when she describes that moment you sneak into your child's room, looking at them sleeping beautiful and peaceful, and you're overcome with this amazing sense of love and gratitude. And then within just a few seconds, suddenly you're thinking, but what about the bullying at school? But what about the fact he doesn't eat his greens? What if he gets sick? What if something happens? It's almost human nature to feel like we need to prepare ourselves for what might go wrong. I know I've done this many a time in my life and I know it's something that so many women have spoken to me about. But what if you have gone through so many challenging times that it's almost obvious that life is hard? How do you find the resilience and the hope to continue? I think this is a really powerful topic in light of the world we live in. We're constantly reminded how vulnerable we can be, how bad things happen to good people. And as mamas, we need a sense of resilience. We have to find within us a sense of faith that all will be okay and come what may, we'll get through it. That sense of faith and resilience is what we need as women and what we need to teach our children, which is why I am absolutely in love with today's guest and her book. Amy Malloy is the author of a brand new book from Hay House called The World Is a Nice Place. And she has reason to talk about this topic. When you hear what she has done and been through in her life, you will be amazed. Just a little overview. We're talking about an eating disorder as a teenager, her father being crippled by cancer, her first husband dying when she was just in her early 20s. So how does someone who has been through so much have such faith and hope and truly believe that the world is a nice place? You're going to love this insight and you're going to love how inspired you will feel by the end. Enjoy. This is the Happy Mama Movement with your host, Amy Taylor-Kabaz, author, mama to three, and editor of the Happy Mama magazine. In my mamahood journey, I have gone from an overachieving, addicted-to-busyness superwoman to finally slowing down, 
simplifying and realizing that being a mama is the greatest self-development teacher in the world. And after more than 15 years covering breaking news, I've swapped current affairs to inspiration and now bring you the best I can find every week to help us feel more connected as women as we raise our families. Because when we come together, amazing things happen. So welcome to the movement. So Amy, thank you for joining me. What I wanted to speak to you about was resilience. How we get through the tough times and how we find the strength and the resilience and the inner knowing that everything's going to be okay to keep going. You have been through so much in your life. It's quite amazing when you list it all and you see what you've been through to then hear that you have a deep faith that the world is a nice place. It's quite amazing. So for those who don't know your story, can you give us a quick overview of how you've come to the place of knowing so personally what resilience really is? Absolutely. Um, And I think you're right. It's only in writing my book and in speaking to people about it, when I list everything that I've been through in order that I even start to realize like, wow, that was a lot for somebody who was so young. So um, by the age of 30, really by the age of 23, I'd been through a series of really challenging tests and difficult situations that I suppose on paper, you think someone that age shouldn't have gone through. So um, to really go back to the beginning, I was a very dangerously premature baby and that went on to become a child with, I would say, obsessive compulsive tendencies. As a teenager, I developed an eating disorder. When I was 17, my father was paralyzed from the waist down from Hodgkin's lymphoma, where a tumor grew around his spine and He literally went to bed one night being able to walk and woke up the next day unable to. So then as a family, we endured, I think it was about eight years of cancer treatment before, incredibly, he went into remission. Um, But during that time, I then, in my early 20s, fell in love with a wonderful man who about six months after my dad went into remission, we found out that my partner had cancer. And he survived and fought for about a year before he died three weeks after we got married. And so when you kind of list them back to back like that, it really sounds quite astonishing. I also come from a family with a a long line of mental illness, particularly in the women. I always grew up being told that depression and anxiety runs in our family. And I was always, always very aware of that. From an extremely young age, I remember playing with packets of antidepressants um, that were stacked up next to our telephone in our house wow. and herbal remedies for treating anxiety. I, I knew that it was uh, the black dog was roaming around our garden. And so I think I became personally and then professionally as well very interested, almost obsessed with the secret to emotional recovery and resilience and healing and how to experience situations like that and still emerge from them with grace and love and hope and happiness and how to 
become more than those experiences and allow myself to hope for the best after the worst, as I say in the book so often. And so what have you learned about that? Because not only have you been through all of that yourself, but you have, as you said, your career has now kind of been shaped by this as well. As a writer, you have Mm. been able to speak to amazing survivors, if that's what we want to call them, amazing people who have faced phenomenal hardships and have found a way to get through. And it was almost like you were gathering evidence for this book over the last 18 years without even realising it. So what is at the core of makes that makes some of us be able to go through such hard times and still have faith that the world is a good place and others not? Yeah, well, I think, like you said, I probably subconsciously began to gravitate as a journalist towards empowered survivors, as I call them in the book. Just people who have faced far worse challenges than I have and who are able to still have that optimistic mindset. So um, over the course of my career, I've interviewed, you know, tsunami survivors and 9-11 rescue workers and just incredible people who've faced grief and loss and heartbreak and breakdowns and those everyday events and occurrences that can bring some of us to our knees. And what I discovered through meeting these people is that it is possible to make a choice to be more than an experience that you encounter. And so with the right emotional toolkit of tools and rituals and strategies that you really probably have to rely on every single day. This isn't a quick fix or something you just do the day after a tragedy and you'll be over it. Like these people I've met, they work at it every day. They gently work at it every day. Um, And they use these tools to enable themselves to move forward and to still feel that heartbreak. No one is invincible. And everyone that I spoke to was very honest about the crippling heartbreak that they had felt but they were able to move forward and look forward and really practice resilience um, constantly. So whether they're going through a good patch or a bad patch, these people I meet consciously, constantly practice resilience. And that's something that I started to do too. So I think what I learned more than anything is that if you can gather these emotional tools and rituals and practices that support you, Um, and then rely on them when you're tested, then you really can overcome even the most unimaginable situations and move through them with hope, I think. And that's something that I've actually learned recently is that sometimes it's enough to have hope. Sometimes I have an an incredible life coach who um, I touch base with a lot. And she taught me recently that sometimes it's too hard in a situation to move from grief to joy. And a lot of people put pressure on themselves. They think, I feel, I'm grieving, I'm grieving, I feel terrible. I want to be joyful. And actually, that's too big a leap to make. If you can go from a place of grief to hope, and then from there to hope to joy eventually, then that can be a more realistic step for us to take. I love that because I do think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to feel so much better than we we can in the moment. So two things I would love to hear your thoughts about. One is... I hear this so much 
from women that I speak to who have had something happen to them that really threw them, an unexpected tragedy. And it doesn't have to be as big as a death, even just not being able to cope with something. And then they've lost faith in themselves and the universe. Then they kind of think, oh, maybe bad stuff happens to good people. And they kind of lose that belief. And they spend their lives, Amy, almost waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting in anticipation that things might go wrong in any moment. What do you do if you're feeling like that? After everything you've been through, how can you show up every day and be hopeful that things are going to be good when you've had so much evidence that it might not be? Mm, And I think that's something I learned very young because I remember when we were waiting for my partner's biopsy to come back to see if it was cancer or not a lot of people knowing what I'd been through with my father said oh it'll be fine because you know after everything you went through with your dad it's not possibly going to happen again but the world isn't like that you know sometimes people have dealt a series of really challenging situations back to back with no respite in between and so for me I did go from eight years of cancer treatment with my dad into another series of cancer treatment with my husband out of well, the man who became my husband. And I think because of that, when I met, uh, I think it was six or seven years later, when I finally fell in love again with my current husband and the father of my little girl, it was very tempting to fall down that rabbit hole of fear and to think, when is this going to go wrong? Like you said, when is the other shoe going to drop? When is the day that this is all going to come crashing around me? Because this just seems too good to be true. You know, the world can't be this good. My existence can't be this easy. And I can't feel this loved and peaceful and happy. When is this going to go wrong? Um, And it's something I've had to really consciously work on so that I didn't self-sabotage my own happiness. Um, And I think this is something that we all, uh, you know, tend to do when we face fear or heartbreak in the past and it might just be that you've been through a breakup and then you go into a new relationship and you start to self-sabotage through fear um and so I have a few tools I use in specific situations when I start to act on a place of fear instead of love um and that's even in itself is a mantra that I use literally every day um I say to myself help me to act from a place of love not fear and sometimes that's all I need to ground myself and bring myself back from going into a fear-based mindset. And then the other tool I use is um, asking myself the question, what's more likely to be true? And so this is usually something I fall back in specific fear-based situations. Um, for instance, I used to have a real fear if my husband was driving home from work and I was expecting him to call at five o'clock. And 10 past five comes and I haven't heard anything. And like quarter past five comes and I haven't heard. And I tried to call him and there's no phone reception and it's just going so straight to voice now. In the past, my mind would just go to the worst case scenario. It'd be like, he's gone, there's been a car crash, it's over. This is the moment I've been waiting for. I knew it. I knew Mm. this was going to happen. And I've honestly had it in the past where within half an hour, I've planned his funeral. I've worked through my coping mechanisms. I've figured out my step next step. I've worked out whether or not to sell the house and move back to England or stay in Australia. Like I can take those steps very quickly if I allow myself to. Um, but I've learned, again, through one of my amazing healers, 
to stop and ask what's more likely to be true. Is it more likely that this car crash has happened? You know, that might be likely. We can't ignore the fact that these things happen. But it's more likely that he's stuck in traffic. He hasn't charged his phone. He's going through a rubbish area of reception. And just stop and take a moment to be still and be calm and to be logical rather than acting from a place of fear. Mm. And, you know, thank goodness, on every occasion like that, Half an hour after that, I've had a phone call from him saying, sorry, stuck in traffic, no phone reception, I'm on my way home. Exactly. And so I think, you know, that question can translate to a lot of situations. If someone doesn't reply to an email straight away, if, you know, your husband's in a bad mood because he's had a rubbish day at work and your mind automatically thinks, I've done something wrong, this is the end of our relationship, catastrophize, 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 bring yourself back. What is more likely to be true? And, you know... The world is a nice place. That's what I call my book that for a reason. Bad things do happen, but the likelihood is that it's all okay. And even if something bad has happened, it can still be okay on the other side. Wow. I love that simple question because I think when we do go into that catastrophizing mode and I've been there too with my husband being you know in my mind being in the funeral do we need to move back to Adelaide what do we do you know we do get into this state of just we just dive down that rabbit hole don't we and we allow our thoughts to just run wild and sometimes just having one sentence or one thought or one action that you can grab onto like a life life ring mm-hmm. out of that dark hole is what we need. So that question that you ask is just beautiful. What is more likely to be happening right now? It's just exactly. a, a really beautiful life ring to hang on to in those moments. And do you know what? My emotional toolkit as a mother has had to adapt and has had to become simpler and quicker and easier. You know, gone are the days when I can go and sit by the ocean for two hours and journal. Mm-hmm. You know, I need things that I can access fast and that work fast. I don't need to put a lot of effort into and that I can do with my baby sitting next to me and playing next to me. And so it might just be a sentence that you pull out your toolkit and that's all you need. That's really how our tool should work. I love it. I was just about to dive into motherhood with you. So (laughs) resilience in motherhood and what has motherhood taught you about this enormous part of our lives of how to have faith even in the face of really horrible things happening in the world? How has motherhood changed this for you? I think, you know, resilience is something, God, as mothers that we need more than ever (laughs) on a daily minute per minute basis we need resilience and it's something me and you have spoken about in the past is that I think there's this misconception about resilience that it's um, strength and it's muscling through and pushing through and those are true in some situations but what I've learned particularly as a mother that for me resilience is about softening and so in the past you know in my 20s and early 30s for me I thought I was coping by not needing anyone and being independent and pushing through every situation that encountered me and really fighting life every day, being a warrior. Mm. And that doesn't gel with motherhood. You can't, well, not for me anyway. I found it too opposing for me to be a nurturing, loving mother who is also fighting and battling and pushing through every challenge that comes at me. And that's what I tried to do initially when I, had a baby, I 
you know, I worked all the way through my pregnancy. I went back to work um, as a freelancer, so working from home very quickly with a newborn. And I really was just trying to push through every day, tick everything on my list, to-do list, and, you know, be a mother, be a wife, be a writer, be a journalist, and force through each of these tasks on my list. And it just didn't work because... I also was a breastfeeding mother and having to give all this loving, nurturing energy and I just couldn't gel the two together. So I actually have above my desk and it's been there for about six months, the word soften hmm. on a written on a piece of paper and stuck above my desk. And I think it just reminds me that um, for me, my new form of resilience is um, softening into the situation that I'm in. And again, comes back to that acting from a place of love and not fear and for that, that involves, you know, asking for help and accepting help, being still when I want to run away, um, slowing down when I feel like I need to speed up, just which is absolutely goes against everything that I think I learned during my 20s and all of my coping mechanisms in my early 30s. But um, resilience for me has had to take on a new form of self-love and self-care for me to be able to be a good partner and be a good mother and be a good writer and pick everything and every area of my life. Mm, I love that. And the softening, if you haven't experienced that yourself, if you haven't played with it almost, then it can you can think to yourself, well, what does that mean, soften into yeah. it? But you've explained it really beautifully. It's almost allowing yourself to be fully in whatever's happening. And if whatever's happening is crap, then be in the crap for a moment. Don't try and run away. Don't try and push it. Don't try and do anything. Stay there. See what it feels like and what do you need to move through it. Is that what you mean? Yeah, and I think also don't overanalyze it. You know, I'm an overcoper and an overanalyzer, which is great in certain situations. But you know, sometimes I think, especially when you're a new mum, you're overwhelmed because you're a new mum. You don't need to sit down and have a two-hour conversation, you know, analysing why and putting the psychological analysis behind it. You're overwhelmed because you've got a baby and a husband and your body feels a bit odd and you've got hormones swirling around you. And even at the weekend, I nearly went down this path. You know, I'd had a really difficult work week. My husband had been away. I had a teething baby. I'm promoting a new book. There's all of these things going on. And on Saturday, I just woke up and just started crying. And my automatic thing was to be like, okay, analyze this and fix this. Why am I feeling this way? And let's put in a 10-point plan. And actually, my husband just said, you don't need to. You know why. You're just overwhelmed. Like, instead of us spending two hours and putting in all this energy into overanalyzing it, let's just go and get in the ocean. Let's have a cry. You have a cry. Get in the ocean. Let's eat some healthy food. Have a nap. And then you'll feel better. Mm. And actually, you know, in that situation, it was true. I didn't need to analyze it and I didn't need to muscle through it. I just needed to allow it to be and pass through me and move out the other side. So I think that's part of softening for me. And, and also, you know, this might sound a bit silly to some people, but like when I feel myself hardening, which is one of my coping mechanisms that doesn't serve me anymore, like I will... Today, I've put on kind of a flowy linen dress instead of putting on, I would say, like some of my harsher clothing. Mm. And I'll paint my nails and I'll wear my hair down. And it sounds like a cliche. And, you know, it sounds like a very small thing to do. But 
just changing something like that, wearing your hair down instead of in a fierce ponytail. Like for me, that just allows me to soften a little bit um, and allows me to cope in a different way. Oh, so, I love that. You know, it's worth trying. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love the practical tips. I always think that they're so important. I don't want to just be about these, you know, ethereal ideas about how we can actually make it work as mamas. That's brilliant. That's amazing. So, Amy, mm-hmm. before we finish up then... You're about to have your second baby (laughs) (laughs) and the motherhood journey is about to start all over again. What do you think, looking back at your journey so far, what do you think motherhood has taught you about yourself? I think it's taught me to um, not try and think too far ahead with how I want to cope with a situation. So this is another really simple but powerful sentence that I talk about in my book that I use every day. Um, My life coach taught me to ask myself, what do I need to do to feel good right now? And literally ask yourself that on a daily, minute per minute, hour per hour basis. What do I need to do to feel good right now? Um, And I do that as a mother in every situation, just as a woman in every situation. Um, And I think, one, it makes me live in the present. But also, I give myself permission to really honour the answer So rather than thinking, how do I think I need to cope on Friday? Like, I've got to take my baby to daycare. I've got to hit this deadline. I've got to do this and that. How do I think, what do I think I'm going to need to do to cope on Friday? And it's sometimes too hard to project your coping mechanisms for the future. So instead, I'll wait until I wake up on that day. Mm. And I'll think, what do I need to do to feel good today? What do I need to do to feel supported? What do I need to do to feel peaceful? And then I'll honor that. So you know, it might be this morning I went to the gym at 5 a.m. to sit in a hard gym session because that's what I felt I needed to. Mm. Other days it might be, you know, sitting on our balcony and watching the sun rise. Or other days it might be Skyping my mum in England to have a conversation with her. It's what do I need to do to feel good right now? And then you're being really honest about what you need. And I think as mothers more than ever, that's something that's really important for us. So, um, a lot of people are very surprised that because I'm a little bit hippie and, a, you know, a little bit of a free spirit, I go down the route of having a super strict sleep schedule with my baby. And a lot of people are like, really? Do you not just let your baby fall asleep under a tree and just, you know, mm-hmm. it's all cool, man. So for us, um, and I think me and my husband thought we were going to do that. And then actually, when we looked at our schedules and what we were trying to juggle around parenthood, we realized that to feel supported... Um, we needed to have a strict schedule in place. So I knew that when I could write, I knew exactly when I could spend time with my husband. I knew exactly when we could go to the beach and I knew exactly when we needed to be at home. And so we have become those parents who have our sleep schedule stuck on the fridge and obsessively tell the grandparents about it. And that's not who we expected to be, but that's what we need to do to feel good on a day-per-day basis and to be able to live our fullest lives on a day-per-day basis. So, you know, sometimes you've got to chuck your expectations out the window and ask yourself in the present, what do I need? I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Mamas. No worries. Amy's book is so powerful. It's a mixture of her story but also the amazing people she's interviewed over the years about resilience and faith and to trust the process of life. So I highly recommend it. Thank you, Amy. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Happy Mama Movement. I truly believe that great things happen when we come together to support and uplift each other. So to help spread the word, 
and build the movement, I'd love it if you could pop over and leave a review. And if you have a mama friend who'd also love this insight, please share with her. Until next time, beautiful mama. Satnam. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.